0: Hey everyone, this is Nick, also known as at NickCantMind from Twitter, and welcome back to another episode of the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the author of The Bitcoin Standard, Saifedean Amus, to talk about his new book, The Fiat Standard. I, for one, am very excited to be doing this interview, as I'm a big fan of Saifedean and his work, and the topic of fiat and how it has impacted us and our society is one of my favorite topics ever to talk about. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Seyfedeen, how's it going? And welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Nick. Um, It is uh, going well. Things are good. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Your work has really inspired me and um, I've written a few articles of my own and uh, I always end up citing you and your Bitcoin Standard just because it's such a good reference book to have. It's filled with so much knowledge and um, yeah, I'm I'm really happy you could come on today. I'm really excited for the Fiat Standard. I remember the first day you teased it on Twitter. I was like, I'm getting this book 100% and uh, the fact that we're talking about it now before it's released is, is huge for me.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time coming. It's, I've been working on it for about two years now and um, you know, I, I, uh, I I'm finally ready. I'm finally at a point where I think I'm ready to start sharing it. So uh Um, Yeah, next week should or this week, I guess when this airs is uh, when it should be beginning to come out to the world, the one chapter at a time.
0: I was looking through the table of contents that you posted on Twitter and there was a few topics I wanted to go into detail with you about. So the first one was under fiat money. Mm -hmm. It was number two, the underlying technology behind fiat. Could you go into detail and explain that a bit?
1: Effectively, what happened to me with this book was that um, I found in order to study how um, um, fiat works, I thought of just using the same kind of um, methodology uh, that I used um, when writing the Bitcoin standard. So with the Bitcoin standard, I was confronted with this weird and strange monetary system that somehow seemed to work. And I was trying to make sense of it, and then I remember how um, I finally managed to make sense of it and Then, when the pieces of Bitcoin come together and you understand how they all work with one another, then uh, there 's a nice um, the, 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 there 's a nice uh, logic that comes out of it you, you can figure out what the basic building blocks of a monetary system are. Um, Because you're looking at something that, you know, it's it's very transparent and uh, um, it's all software. It's very easy to look at and uh, figure out what's going on. And so Bitcoin allows us this kind of um, working prototype for what a monetary system would look like. And um, I thought if you apply the same kind of lens to looking at the current monetary system, you know, um, looking at this uh, one more altcoin and, compete, and that competes with Bitcoin, and try and figure out how this altcoin works. Um, what would it look like? And so I started distilling uh, the operation of the fiat standard away from, if you want, uh, the memes of its uh, promoters. And um, it's uh, you know the, the propaganda that is taught about it in schools, and just looking at it operationally, like how does it actually work? And uh, I'm delighted to announce that it uh, doesn't work too well. Well, and there's nothing, about the, <laughs> there's nothing delightful about it. Unfortunately, it's very tragic. If you wanted to really see what the problem was, I think it lies fundamentally in the fact that in order to run a payment system. In uh, the fiat network, you end up having to have one uh, monetary authority that is uh, able to settle payments internationally and is also able to issue currency domestically and is also able to buy government bonds, also manages banks. So you combine all of those four functions in one monopolist and you make that monopolist protected from market competition and then you know, you can only imagine what the consequences are. So I think, you know, if you start thinking about fiat in that way, and this is what I've been doing over the last several months, a um, couple of years, actually, you start really understanding the, um, you know, the, the logic behind how fiat functions. And I think it it works in a way that is... Um, that that is quite informative about the dysfunctions of it and and about the functions, you know, and about the, there is a good side. Like I must admit, um, maybe many Bitcoiners are not going to like this, but to be frank, you if when you think about it this way, you can see where the uh, advantages lie. I mean, it it is a shitcoin, but <laughs> it's still a shitcoin that is massively adopted by seven and a half billion people, and it uh, does a lot of transactions every day. So there's definitely something there. And I think ultimately the main idea, uh, the, the main advantage that fiat has, yeah, the, the the killer app of fiat uh, is, you know, in, in the case of the Bitcoin standard, I was uh, looking at Bitcoin and I tried to explain Bitcoin's com- um, competitive advantage and value proposition in terms of its saleability across time and the stock to flow ratio. I think in fiat, the competitive advantage is in the saleability across space. It's in the ability to move money across space, which, um, you know, in in, in that it massively beats uh, gold. But um, so you get that saleability across space, but you lose out on the saleability into the future. And herein come the problems
0: there's a lot more I have to learn about, you know, the underlying technology about fiat. And one thing I've noticed is around the country and around the world, um, that's very typical. Not many people know, you know, the underlying technology behind fiat. Not many people know how fiat works or how it's created or why it was created. And um, there's a lot of consequences to that. Obviously there's some benefits to it. And um, the next topic I want to go into is the debt standard. We're trillions of dollars into debt. It goes up more and more every single day. You know, there's a U.S. clock deck calculator that you can look at online and just constantly going up and up and up. And um, I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well.
1: One of the most important concepts in uh, how the fiat standard works is that mining in fiat is pretty weirdly done in the Bitcoin standard. Um, you know, we know how mining works. There's an algorithm and there's a um, difficulty adjustment that controls the amount of coins that is issued. And you can run the numbers on your own node, as Pierre Rochard uh, always reminds us. And you can find out exactly how many Bitcoins there are and how many are being born every day. Um, In gold, you know, you've got the, the chemistry and geology of the earth, Um, kind of dictating some kind of difficulty on how much uh, gold gets produced. But in the fiat standard, ultimately, fiat is effectively, in this world monetary system, it effectively gets created every time debt is created. And I think this is... uh, This is ultimately why we can think about it, why we can understand, how we can understand um, this debt crisis that you mentioned. Because when mining fiat um, works through lending, then everybody has an added incentive to engage in lending. It's essentially a subsidy to lending. Everybody who wants to borrow is effectively being subsidized because uh, when you borrow effectively, you mine a block of fiat, basically. There's a huge incentive for people to mine fiat by, by getting into debt. And that's why effectively everybody gets into debt. And so I think about that. Um, I try and explain all of these kinds of phenomena in the book through this lens, You know, through the lens of what is, uh, how does the function of the network shape the incentives of the people who use it. And one of the most profound ways it shapes the incentives of the people who use it is through debt, because everybody has to get into debt.
0: How do you think this has caused society to change and react? I know uh, later on in the book, you get to fiat states and fiat banking. Um, How does debt play a role in our lives under a fiat standard?
1: There are many, many topics that I get into in this. The book has has several chapters uh, that deal with several aspects of fiat life. But I think the two driving causal mechanisms is in order to use uh, fiat coin, you have to, uh, um, you know, in order to use fiat coin, you have to have this. You have this massive incentive to get into debt, and so everybody is getting into debt, and um, the that creates incentive for people to be more short termist and to focus less on um, uh, the future than the present. Um, effectively. Uh, the fact that money becomes easier because money is, you know, you can think about historically, we've managed to move to harder monies, which continue to allow us to uh, save more and accumulate more of our wealth into the future because the harder the money is, the more we can save. As we move toward, uh, as we move back toward easier money, our ability to save gets uh, eroded a little bit. And so people stop saving and people start borrowing more and more. And so people become much less secure in, 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 in their lives because they're far more um, subject to, um, uh, you know, uncertainty causing them massive um, catastrophic problems. So um, debt permeates. And then on the other hand, you have the issue of a government being able to finance itself and how that distorts economic incentives across uh, societies. And so uh, those two forces, I think when you start thinking about their implications, you start seeing several um, fascinating uh, trends in across many different uh, parts of life.
0: I, I saw a quote from a taco club on Twitter. I'm not sure who exactly said it, but they said something like debt is slavery and slavery never went away. It just switched chains. So it's like, you know, back in the day, slavery, you were in shackles and chains, but today you're enslaved by debt. And um, that's just the time we live in right now with a f- easy money in the Fed being able to print as much money as they want.
1: And in a sense, um, you know, I think uh, one uh, one thing to keep in mind is that in a fiat system, pretty much everybody ends up having to be in debt because debt is so profitable. So it's, it's a weird thing. It's not, it, 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 there's, um, you know, everybody wants to be in debt. And effectively, we're all being enslaved to our past selves because they got us into debt. And so, you know, historically... Um, you see a lot of um, cultural emphasis in many cultures across the world against getting into debt and you know not making it it's either forbidden in certain cases or it's not recommended and it's uh, frowned upon but the drawbacks are well known and yet in, in effectively we we've made this kind of monetary system because of the uh, silly mining mechanism that we have, whereby we can't just mine new fiat tokens except through the issuance of... Well, we can, obviously, um, but you know, the majority of tokens get mined through, through debt issuance. It just means that there's an enormous incentive for uh, debt issuance there. And um, it's pretty incredible that Bitcoin uh, offers us a chance to fix this.
0: One thing... I know you're super critical of, as am I, is fiat education. Um, You know, I went to college for two years and I got good grades as well. I had about a 3.5 GPA by the time I left. And I remember thinking every single day, like, what am I doing here? They're not teaching me anything important. Like I remember going to an economics class and they were just teaching me a bunch of Keynesian bullshit that I didn't need to know. And, um, college is holding back a bunch of people from uh, actually getting a proper education and I know you run your own um, Austrian economic courses on your website that I think are really really cool and really really good um, what are your thoughts on uh, fiat education
1: yeah I think education is uh, one uh, w- one aspect of this uh of the fiat world that i have a good experience with and firsthand so i've written uh i've written a chapter about it i think it's it's a very good illustration of this because um american uh, education um you know it, it's um they pe- people might think that it is a free market that they are private uh, universities but in reality they're really not. they universities are heavily influenced by uh, government, and they are dependent on government subsidies and research grants. And um, I think, the, of course, the and the major form of subsidies and research as the the major form of subsidies that is given to uh, universities is uh, the. Um, low interest rate uh, loans for students that's what ultimately makes uh, that that's what constitutes an enormous subsidy to the university industry and so with this uh, kind of subsidy plus all the uh, money that comes in for research uh, universities effectively run by fiat and so Effectively, the the scientific method and all these nice little romantic notions that uh, these places uh, um, use in their marketing material um, and mention pay lip service to in the syllabus don't really function in a system where you have bureaucratic funding. And we have examples of that from um, Soviet science, how Soviet science was uh, towards the end of its uh, uh, life and we see it in um, in in many fields in um, in in economics and in nutrition how universities have just become completely um, separated from reality and they can afford to continue to be completely um, separate from reality because they their paychecks do not depend on reality because uh, you know they they need to meet bureaucratic targets they don't have to meet the uh, approval of people on the market they have to meet the approval of um, bureaucrats and essentially they have to meet the approval of each other i think this is really what's Um, in in the case of academia, is kind of so uh, messed up about the situation is that it's academics who evaluate the work of academics and then they all agree that they all deserve more funding and funding is always going up. And so when you have this kind of incentive structure, you know, people in academia like to pontificate a lot about the incentive structures faced by other people, uh, but they don't talk much about the incentive structures faced by them. Um, for understandable reasons, I think. Um, but yeah, in this book, I apply this. Uh, I try and look at that as an uh, example.
0: I have a question from um, a taco Club on Twitter. He asks, <laughs> what will higher education and academic research look like under a Bitcoin standard compared to a fiat standard?
1: I think we it would be 100x more efficient, I think and um you know it's it's absolutely amazing how um if you want to see a vision of um, bitcoin education in the future just look into the sailor academy uh michael Saylor, you may have heard of him mm-hmm. um the uh ceo of MicroStrategy, who uh, has taken the bitcoin world by storm in the last few uh, months by you know coming into the space and just uh uh, first of all, buying a lot of Bitcoin and basically getting Bitcoin very quickly and understanding what is going on. Um, he's also had this charity that he set up um, that, that uh, teaches about um, education. I'm sorry, that teaches uh, university level courses for free. And uh, you can get an education in many topics that is uh, equal to what you would be able to get in a... Um, in, in a brick and mortars university, but um, you know they 're able to do it for free. Um, you know People donate money to their university, and the university spends it on lavish uh, suites and um, uh, dining halls and activities and all of that stuff, which is nice as a country club. but you know if you 're actually after the education, you can get it enormously uh, more efficiently by you know, utilizing the technologies of the web. Uh, you, you need one guy to teach, um, say, algebra properly, and then you've got algebra stored on the internet and it can teach tens of thousands of people or millions of people all over the world can learn it from this one lecture. So the cost for that is going to decline enormously. And in, in the Sailor Academy, you can get the entire education done for basically for free. And I think the cost would decline enormously for students and i think it all it would also become much more rewarding for professors and teachers because they face market uh pressure to and they face market feedback you know and, and people like to think of this as in academia obviously they think of this as being a bad thing <laughs> for understandable reasons because they would all lose their jobs if they were out on the free market uh, trying to sell the research that they sell most of them at least the the, the vast majority but you know it it, it's scary for people in the cage to look at the for for the birds in the cage are scared of the birds that are flying outside but if uh, they haven't uh, spent their lives in a cage they wouldn't be afraid of uh, flying there you know their their wings would be able to take off so uh (laughs) so really academics um i think in a free market would be incentivized to see what works, to see what helps people, um, what people are willing to pay for. And that would direct their attention and their uh, productive capacities towards doing things that are useful. And in the long run, they would be much more productive and much happier if they were doing that rather than writing uh, papers that nobody reads in journals that nobody buys or reads um, that are, you know, um, just um, publication mills.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. Um, when, you know, when I look at school, I think why are some people paying, you know, 50000 a $100,000 to go to school, just to write a bunch of papers on stuff that they don't even, you know, really want to study. And then everyone today has a phone in their pocket, connected to the internet, they have access to, you know, the world's information. And y- really, if I feel like more people capitalized on that, like, the possibilities for their education are endless, you know, they can learn literally anything they want to. And um, that's why I said uh, a couple minutes ago that I think college and university is just getting in the way of some people's actual education. And um, also back on the cost of education, um, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars plus is completely ridiculous. And I think, as time goes on, we're going to see a major decrease in the price of college because I think after a while, hopefully, I'm hoping people kind of step back and say, I'm not paying that. <clears throat> That's ridiculous.
1: Really, what people need to do is to just uh, mentally unbundle the country club experience from the education experience. And I think also there's the need, there probably needs to be an unbundling of. Education into um, practical training for employment, for producing things, for working um, versus, you know, education is in the sense of uh, interesting things that you want to learn about, um, which is, of course, very important. But I think, um, you know, it's in my mind, uh, having spent a lot of time in education, I think it's probably wisest to focus in your university years in your late teens and early 20s it's probably wisest to focus the most on the practical training aspect of um of education at that point and to leave the countryside uh, the country club experience Uh, For later, you know, I think you'd be able to spend a lot more time in the country club in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. If you, um, if you forsake it in your late teens and early 20s, and instead you focus that time on acquiring, you know, skills that can help you become productive. Um that's, I, I really think, um, you know, it's, it, it makes very little sense to begin your productive career. You know, when you leave your parents, house the first thing that you do is saddle yourself with a lifetime of debt. Um, and, and, and in the case of uh, student debt, I think it's particularly terrible because it's non-dischargeable debt. Whereas with everything else, you know, okay, it's bad and you can go through bankruptcy course plus bankruptcy court. But it's not the end of the world. You know, you still go through bankruptcy court and then life goes on. You know, the fiat standard, you're not, under the fiat standard, you know, the lender made a bunch of money when they made the money. So they're not going to be extremely devastated. They're not going to go hungry if you default, basically. Um, So it's... it's, it's tempting to get into debt, but in the case of student debt, I think it's extremely, extremely expensive because it comes at a time when you really shouldn't be overindulging in a country club experience, I think. That's the way that I look at it. And I think the, the country club experience came out of the university system back when the university system made sense because you, know, you had a whole bunch of books and a whole bunch of experts who understood the books who were all gathered in one place. And so you went there and you spent a couple of years hanging out with those people telling you where the books are and explaining to you how the world works from those books in that setting it made sense but over time you know as uh, books became more uh, available everywhere particularly online it starts to make less and less sense to go to these um, special knowledge places physically and now you know that there's very little reason to go in terms of um because you know anyways (laughs) you can't even go even if you do sign up for a university they're all doing their classes online almost all of them i think which is um ridiculous you the, the idea that you have this entire um country club that's being paid for with its staff and its maintenance and everything by people who are zooming from their bedrooms is uh is an enormous testament to the 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 the, the wastefulness of fiat.
0: Mhm. I know a lot of schools had um their students come back to campus for the semester and then eventually they just sent them back home because of, you know, quote unquote COVID crisis, but um and that just sucked even more money out of them because the, the students had to pay for, you know, room and board. And then they got sent home early. I just think it's ridiculous. But um, leading into my next topic is going after education. um, I know you're also a big critic of fiat science. And especially today with, you know, the whole COVID crisis going around, you know, quote unquote crisis going around. um, There's just so many red flags everywhere. Then, you know, the numbers don't add up like. What are your thoughts on a uh, fiat science
1: yeah I think um it, part of the same reason with the with the um way that academia works if you look at uh, and, uh, academic economists talking about Bitcoin. Um, and, or, if you look at uh, academic um, academics talking about food, you know fiat universities are um, promoting fiat money and they promote fiat foods. Um, they promote the industrial stuff that is from the, um, the their sponsors basically and um, there 's no risk for them to be wrong about this you know the, the Harvard is the most prestigious university in the world. And the Harvard's Department of Nutrition is essentially uh, an, an industrial junk food advertising agency. That's really what they do. They were established by a guy called Frederick Stair, who um, amassed enormous amounts of money from industrial food producers in order to uh, make the most important nutrition department in the country, just kept churning out all of this all these stupid rationalizations about why it's okay for you to eat several pounds of uh, heavily colored uh, industrial waste uh, every day. Um, And, uh, you know, it it works. (laughs) There are no consequences for it. There are no consequences for it because universities don't compete for um, a free market. They don't compete in a free market. The majority of their money comes from um, from federal funding, and so um, the, the, it's it's a very pernicious um, effect. The fact that um, you don't have um, you, you don't have free market competition because government can just simply print all the fiat at once and finance it, and so that means that you end up with scientists that can dream up all kinds of ridiculous nonsense, and as long as they can continue to um, approve each other's work and sign off on each other's research grants, then, um, then you know, the, the, the science continues to be um, peddled out. It, it's incredible if you look at the world today, just how many people think that the science is this thing that you read about in the New York Times based on press releases by Harvard University. This is effectively what people's understanding of, of the science is and that's really not what science is all about it's, it's it's quite amazing um the scientific method means engaging in experiments and you look at what people think of as being science it's all based on uh nothing related to experiments it's um it's it, it, it's um essentially dogma that just continues to get uh, manufactured and there's very little uh, evidence for it there's very little rigorous um, experimentation and testing of what is actually going on when you do see testing and experimentation it's shaped and driven uh, by such agendas in such ways that make it almost completely useless
0: i i remember seeing something you posted on twitter um because someone had tweeted, oh, we have to trust the scientists, you know, they know everything, you know, we don't know science, they do, blah, blah, blah. And you said something, something along the lines of, well, the science is eat meat, exercise and get sunlight, and you'll live a healthy life. And I think a lot of people just ignore, you know, The million years of that science and they just believe these fiat politicians and these fiat scientists and just whatever they believe.
1: Yeah, uh, there's a lot more money to be made in um, feeding you industrial uh, waste than uh, there is in feeding you actual healthy cows that uh, go around uh, grazing for a couple of years before they are uh, turned into uh, food. It's much more profitable to just take industrial waste and um, hand it out to people and um, mm-hmm. add some uh, coloring. And um, there you go, there's food. And that's really what um, uh, what <laughs> nutrition science says. You see, you know, all of this hysteria around um, uh, health and around people dying in viruses and all that. And it's quite astounding how... Um, None of these people that are so concerned that they want to lock you in at home think that it is okay, um, think that it is worth mentioning anything about, you know, eating properly or um, getting exercise or sunlight. These things are considered um, almost uh, – nobody mentions them. And when they do mention them, you know, they're mentioned in order to just um, sell diet plans that revolve around industrial food. Um, and and all of these catchphrases that people think of as science, uh, like so for instance, eat a balanced diet, well balanced between what and what? Why should I balance uh, and uh, um, bad things with good things? And um, in, in what ratio? What is balance? It's just an empty cliche that allows people to rationalize themselves that they're eating garbage because, well, you know, I'm eating it in a balanced way. It's highly addictive garbage as well. And this is really the pernicious part of it. It's, um, you know, the, the Harvard scientists will tell you, well, you know, in a, in moderation, it's fine. There's a little bit of a snack here and there in moderation is fine. But the snacks are built by scientists who have been practicing for decades in how to make the most addictive substance out there for you. And so they tell you to have a little bit, the science tells you to have a little bit. And then, you know, when you're doing something very addictive, it's not very easy to um, stick to having a little bit of it.
0: One thing I've noticed is ever since coming into Bitcoin and learning more, not only about fiat food, but just like my nutrition in general, I can't look at some things the same way. You know, I drive from town to town and I see fast food, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's everywhere. And it's like, it's like they just surround you. And it's like, at sometimes like you, if let's say if you're in a town that you don't know or something, it seems like that may be your only option and it's to eat, you know, really bad food like that. And, um, they always, you know, try and supersize everything with, you know, sugary drinks. Oh, you know, buy buy a cheeseburger, French fries, and a large drink for like three bucks. And it kind of makes you think if you're paying like $3, you know, for a meal, it's definitely not good for you in the slightest.
1: Yeah, well, to be honest, I probably have to say that I kind of disagree with this because the um, uh, what, one superpower that I've discovered recently is uh, you can walk into any of these um, fast food places. And if you just have the burger patties, the pure meat burger patties alone, it's uh, pretty cheap and it's uh, very delicious. And it's just meat. It's pure meat. They don't mix it with any industrial sludge. Like they put all the industrial sludge and everything else. And this stuff is just pure meat in the burger patties. And so that's actually uh, a a superpower because you can go anywhere in the world and you can find one of these places and go in Turns out that their meat is the one thing that has absolutely no junk included. the way that I see it, food wouldn 't be so expensive like, given the, the the industrial capacity that we have, uh, we, we can generate healthy uh, food pretty cheaply. The problem is that we're dedicating all of our economic resources well not all but i mean we 're dedicating an enormous amount of resources to the production of addictive junk that is not food. It's just drugs, basically. People eat it as a drug. It's, an, it's, 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 it's uh, misusing your digestive system um, as a drug. And it's, it's, it's a very inefficient way to do drugs because your digestive system is huge and has better things to do than get you high. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a massively expensive um, habit that people have and it leads to needing more because um, that stuff has so little nutrition but it only has um, addictive sugar in it and it's made to be addictive so you end up just eating enormous quantities working your digestive system and overworking it and ruining it and abusing it because it's digesting stuff that should not belong there and you get very little nutrition from it so if all of that stuff was um, not heavily subsidized um, you know, I think uh, good cheap food would not be a problem, um, everybody would be able to get good cheap food, and you still can get good cheap food. Uh, you don't even have to go to uh, fast food places, obviously. You can just go to your butcher and um, ask for uh, bones and um, cook these. It's delicious, it's and it's very nutritious, and sometimes they'll give it to you for free. And you know, in a pinch, you can live off of that, and it's um. It's, uh, you know, it, it may get a little bit, uh, boring, but it can be close to free and it's very healthy and very nutritious. So, you know, butchers throw away so much nutrition every day. Um, but people are just, unfortunately spending all their time, um, eating, uh, industrial stuff.
0: One thing I did want to touch on is I've seen some of the pictures you've posted on Twitter of some of the meats you eat, which I think is interesting. Um, I know that, you know, I think I read somewhere, like, you know, our ancestors got all their, you know, p- new power and nutrition f- for the day through meat. And it wasn't through a lot of, like, steaks and stuff. It was through, like, liver and stuff. Um, do you want to touch on that more? Or
1: yeah, I uh, I enjoy eating a lot of uh, meat, as uh, you may have noticed, and I enjoy organ meat a lot. Um, I'm not entirely convinced, to be perfectly honest, that they are essential. I think you can do well just by eating uh, muscle meat, and I know a lot of people who are doing well. Um, without having to get into organ meat, but I personally love them. So, I mean, I'm not uh, telling you you have to do it and I'm not a doctor or nutritionist, but I personally love eating that stuff. And, you know, people like to post their uh, mocha lattes and uh, Slurpees and whatever, but uh, (laughs) mine, um, I I like organ meats. I find them really delicious. They they have, uh, I should add, I mean, they they have enormous nutritional value Um, and it's... um, it's not very common that people know how to prepare them, but there are ways of preparing them very, uh, to, to be very delicious.
0: Uh, I saw a post you made, I thought it was funny. You said, uh, I don't have a superpower. I don't take performance enhancing drugs, but before I play football, I eat some bone marrow. And I thought that was awesome.
1: I mean, it's really much better than taking one of these uh, sugar bombs, uh, energy drinks that, uh, they, uh, take, I mean, our, the energy drink yet yeah, does contain a big jolt of energy, but have you tried having a grilled bone marrow, just taking the whole thing on uh, one at a time? It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of fat. It's very fatty. And, um, I just take it before I go and uh, uh, do physical activity, and it's great. I love it.
0: I've never had it before. I don't even know where I'd get it.
1: Uh, It's not the car mechanic. Take a guess. Who might have bones? (laughs) (laughs) It's the butcher, Nick. Just go to your butcher.
0: (laughs) 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 I'll have to remember that it it never even crossed my mind. Every time I've been to a butcher to ask for bone marrow, I've always just thought steak and only steak. (laughs) So Safedine, I want to thank you for coming on to the Bitcoin magazine podcast and talking about the fiat standard. This was a great conversation that I know everyone will enjoy as I really did as well for the people who want to learn more about the book and your other work, where can they find you?
1: Go to Seyfeddin.com and you can uh, sign up to receive the Fiat Standard. And also, um, you will receive my other book, which I've also been working on for the last couple of years. Principles of Economics is the name of the book. So you'll be getting one chapter of each of these, uh, one chapter of one of those two books every week for the next year, approximately. It's about 40 five to 50 chapters in between the two books. So you'll be getting one of those chapters uh, once a week. And uh, you can also, you will also get uh, full access to all of my online courses that I used to teach that I have been teaching on my website. You'll get full access to all the material of all those online courses. If you sign up and you'll get membership in the new uh, safety.com forum, all of that for 15 bucks a month or $100 uh, upfront fee.
0: Fantastic. And everyone, this is at Nick mind from Twitter. You can find me at Bitcoin Magazine. Be sure to give this podcast a like, share, and review. And I hope you all have a great rest of your day and keep stacking sats. Peace.
2: I want to tell you about BitcoinBlackFriday.com. Bitcoin Black Friday is a project from the team that brought you Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2021 Conference this coming April and May in Los Angeles. Bitcoin Black Friday is a celebration of the growing Bitcoin ecosystem and economy. On the BitcoinBlackFriday.com site, you're going to find deals for up to 50% off on your favorite Bitcoin gear and other merchants that are part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. That's right. They accept Bitcoin if those deals are not enough it doesn't stop at spending bitcoin this is about the entire bitcoin circular economy we have over 65 charities that you can support with bitcoin on the site as well as ways that you can stack sats and earn those precious satoshis so again bitcoinblackfriday.com great place for deals and to earn and support with bitcoin and if that is not enough We have teamed up with the Fold card. I'm sure many of you guys know that the Fold Bitcoin Back Rewards card is almost here. They have a waitlist. And if you sign up for their waitlist exclusively through BitcoinBlackFriday.com, in the Fold placement and on the banners on the site, if you sign up through that, you will be entered to win a raffle. For one entire Bitcoin. That's right. That is one whole BTC. If you're a Bitcoiner, you know that is life changing amounts of BTC. Or in fiat, that is $13,200 at today's price. And with all the volatility, that could be a lot higher by the time you hear this ad. So don't wait one second. Go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com, check out the deals, sign up for the fold card, enter your chance to win an entire Bitcoin.